Welcome to the Post-Christian Podcast. My name is Eric Bryant. I'm one of the executive pastors at Gateway in Austin, Texas. My foundation exists to equip and empower church leaders in reaching new people and raising up leaders. I'm the author of Not Like Me and Fruitful, Becoming Who God Created You to Be. Join me on social media for Through the New Testament for Skeptics and Seekers. And be sure to sign up for my email newsletter where you can receive free resources at ericbryant.org. Today on our episode of the Post-Christian Podcast, I'm excited to have with me Michelle Sanchez. How are you doing, Michelle? I'm doing great. So excited for our conversation. Me too. I want you to share a little bit about uh, who you are, what do you do, and I want to spend most of our time talking about your new book. But yeah, just to give some context, I know you're in the Chicago area. Yes. And so I live in the greater Chicago area, husband of 20 years and two kids. And I work for the Evangelical Covenant denomination, which is headquartered here. Um, The Evangelical Covenant Church is a multi-ethnic denomination of around 900 churches throughout North America. And for the past eight years, I've been leading discipleship and evangelism nationally for the covenant. So my heart has always been about disciples, disciple making, and seeing people become more like Christ. I love it. Well, and it's a great context because really what you've written in Color Courageous is about discipling in a world uh, where we're not pretending there is no issues. Uh, But talk about a little bit as you've, I mean, that's not your job description, racial reconciliation. Talk about how your book has been a part of healing in your denomination or in other circles. I think there's some people that get either nervous about this conversation or tired of this conversation. But to me, it's, uh, it's, who we are. We all look different and God designed us that way. So talk about some of the beauty of the conversations you're seeing this book create. So one of the things that has been surprising in my role um, is how much I have enjoyed exploring areas of challenge when it comes to discipleship. Okay. Now I say it's a surprise because these are not always easy topics or forays, okay, but areas where where uh, we see in the culture that there's a challenge, that we're having some kind of a struggle. Um, Jesus has something to say about it, Eric. Jesus has something to say about it. And in fact, I, I think some of our greatest societal challenges, church challenges come from areas where we have been under-discipled or like malformed in some way by the world. You know, and and that actually, no, this is an opportunity for greater discipleship. So, of course, I'm thinking about what is the connection between race and discipleship? What is the connection between following Jesus and engaging our racial challenges? Are these connected? Oh, yes, they are. They are. They are. Now, I, I want to just be honest and say I haven't even always made that connection. Sure. I haven't always made that connection. Um, and you said just now, oh, it wasn't part of your job description to to engage in this. And that's right. You know, my department is discipleship. We actually have a completely different department that engages in justice and race stuff. And I'm like, well, that's a different department, right? No, what the Lord has really, really showed me 
um, is that actually so many of the challenges we face, including race, at heart, there are some massive discipleship matters at stake that if we dive into, not only can we address the issue, but we can get to know our Lord Jesus better. Yeah. Well, and I I love that, you know, that word discipleship, we use it all the time, perhaps, but we're becoming more like Jesus and we're trying to help others become more like Jesus. And so some of the stories in your book and some of the stories we see Jesus, you know, he's having these conversations with Gentile women that I'm sure the disciples thought were crazy or Samaritan woman, uh, the ways that he interacts with people that the religious would have looked down upon to be a follower of Jesus means you do treat the world more kindly than the world treats itself, right? So what are some of the things that you share in the book, some of the principles of how do we disciple people to be more like Jesus, even when it comes, and especially when it comes to where people's backgrounds might be different? So I think that there are two key things that we see in the scriptures when it comes to race and ethnicity. Um, The first is the embrace of ethnic diversity. Okay. God ordained, God created ethnic diversity. Um, There's an embrace of that. And there's also um, a resistance of racial inequality and marginalization. From beginning to end of the scriptures, we see both of those things. And what I talk about in the book, we have to move from a colorblind approach where we essentially are not doing either of those things, you know, mm-hmm. not paying attention to our differences or appreciating them, nor are we addressing inequalities that might still be present, right? Just colorblind. No, no, no. we got to move from colorblind to color courageous, because that is what we see our God doing. That is what we see our Lord and Savior doing in the scriptures. I love how you started to talk about a couple of ways we see that in Jesus' life. And we do. Um, Sometimes we miss it. But Jesus, for example, uh, was constantly putting up ethnic minorities, marginalized minorities as role models. And so, you know, the, the Good Samaritan, that story, somebody asked for, well, what is love? What does it look like? And he told a cross-racial story, and he lifted up the Good Samaritan as a role model. Jesus uh, only said a few times, you have great faith, and commended someone for their faith. And that that was the Roman centurion mm. uh, and, the, and the Syrophoenician woman, mm-hmm. both ethnic, you know, um, outcasts in terms of what the Jews would be thinking about. In fact, for the Jewish disciples, he rebuked them for a little faith, right? (laughs) That's right. And it said, you know, Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had to. He had to take them on this racial discipleship pilgrimage and open their eyes to um, their biases and the way that they were missing how the fields are ripe for harvest. And you're just not seeing it because of your racial blinders. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, his final commission, go out into all the world and make disciples of all the ethne. That word nations is actually ethne, Mm -hmm. which we get ethnicity from. So it is all over the place from beginning to end of his story. um, And it is the legacy that we are called to pick up. Embrace 
ethnic diversity, which God created and loves, mm. and also deal with ethnic marginalization and injustice, which we see Jesus did. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, this conversation, you know, gets moved into some sort of category of of politics. But if we're loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves, and if we want to reach the next generation, they're not putting up with monochromatic experiences. <laughs> Their world is very different than ours. Talk about as an expert on evangelism, how are you seeing churches engage in this topic? in a way that is biblical and is moving the kingdom forward. So um, thank you for mentioning that about young people, because what we know from the research is that the church is, you know, growing increasingly. Well, let me put it this way. The younger disciple you are, the more uh, diverse your, your surroundings are, you know, in terms of your everyday life and your relationships and your community, and the more that you actually care about racial justice. Yeah. So this is what we know from Barna and a number of other resources. And, and the more frustrated you probably will be looking at, you know, how the previous generations are still handling church and handling this whole conversation. So we are losing people, um, using losing young people, especially who are starting to think, well, if I really want to engage in race and the justice conversation, I guess I need to move away from Jesus. Mm. I guess that's what I need to do. And, um, you know, my friend, that that is not the case. <laughs> like, Jesus is the founder of justice. Jesus uh, is the one, I think, who gives us the ability, the power, the vision, um, the character that we need to pursue uh, long lasting justice. Right. So I, I guess I would say the places where I see this happening, um, in the healthiest possible way are remaining focused on Jesus, right? There, there's not this subtle, like divide between Jesus and justice, which is happening, right? We see that happening all over the place, but the places which are holding them together, no, Jesus and justice, we see this in his life. It's the message of the kingdom of God, you know, um, that is where we really see healthy racial reconciliation going on. Yeah. Well, and I would love for your input, your wisdom, when we see issues of injustice on the news or even in our communities, what are some of the best ways you've seen pastors and church leaders engage and stand up or get involved while also continuing to stay focused on Jesus? How have you seen that best lived out? So the person who wrote the forward, um, or sorry, the afterward to my book is Jamar Tisby. And mm -hmm. I talk about um, his recommendation, which follows the arc of racial justice. So I talk about this in the book and kind of expand upon it from a spiritual formation perspective. But the arc of racial justice, ARC, if you want to engage, well, it's awareness, it's relationships, and it's commitment. It's awareness, relationships, and commitment. And so um, number one, I think, is to become much more aware of what is happening in our world and how Jesus might want us to respond to it. So I have a whole chapter on discipleship as awakening. First of all, what is going on? If we don't have a realistic idea of just the state of affairs, ongoing inequities that we see in 
almost every area of life that can be measured, we're not going to have a clear sense of how to engage or how Jesus might have us engage, right? So we need to have that. Um, But then we also need to engage in relationship with God and with others to hear from God, but also to engage in loving um, and personalized kind of connection, caring connection with others. And this is where I think joining hands, linking arms with partner churches, ministries, communities, and friends is of the essence, not to kind of swoop in with a savior mentality, but more to have, right? A friendship and partner mentality, humble friendship and partnering mentality in relationship together. And of course, commitment. And, you know, that's really where we're talking about um, solidifying partnerships, um, committing to uh, efforts, you know, that that are preferably, you know, um, faith based, if possible. (laughs) Doesn't always have to be, of course, but right. Um, yeah, there's so many people doing great work out there and to find yeah. ways to partner is key. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, again, talking about young people, you know, they're they're going to um, be involved in a cause. And if we can start to help them see that following Jesus is the greatest cause and it will bring more diversity, more equality, less injustice, I, I think it goes so much further. And I think you know, one of the things I've really tried to be cognizant of as a pastor myself is just talking about what's happening in the world, even though, my, you know, the people in my congregation don't expect me to necessarily be at the front of the picket line. Uh, if I don't acknowledge what's happening, it feels like what they're facing is invisible or even just reaching out. It doesn't even have to be from the stage. Um, and another thing that that I've seen work really well for us at Gateway is we've kind of implemented the Rooney rule when it comes to hiring. Um, in in many ways, what we've tried to do is eliminate any un, you know bias that we're unaware of when it comes to interviews and the application process. And you know, some of our best leaders were people whose resume may not have looked the way I was wanting it to look or thinking it should look. They may have come out of a, uh, a specific, you know, minority version of a church. And so they don't have experience yeah. in the big city, but man, I'm telling you when I sat down and interviewed him, uh, he's now one of our campus pastors. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, and I do think that there's a sense of like, we have unconscious bias and just yeah. being okay with admitting it. And allowing yourself to be someone who opens doors for others. I'm not going to be doing this forever, but if I can open the door for others who may not have had an opportunity for women and uh, men uh, who of uh, people of color, just all of a sudden it 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 means I can play a big role in this entire thing. You know, what are some other ways you've seen churches make maybe subtle changes or important changes? that help them become more inclusive and represent more the city they're trying to reach. I really want to affirm. um, I really want to affirm this idea of uh, discipling around these topics. So you mentioned unconscious bias. So there's a lot of people who may hear that and think, Oh, um, that's a secular thing, right? (laughs) You know, like what does it have to do with Jesus? But the reality is, if we can, as pastors, make very practical kind of everyday connections 
um, with some of these uh, practical things that we know are helpful, like unconscious by being aware of unconscious bias with the scriptures and Christian concepts in discipleship that can help so much. So uh, what's an example? Okay, so my book, I have a whole a whole chapter on um, understanding unconscious bias through a discipleship lens. Mm. So uh, I talk about, for example, the noetic effect of sin, noetic effect of sin. And so that is talking about how, yes, we are we are all sin sinful or tainted by sin, even our thought processes, even our intellectual thought processes are tainted. And so um, what that means is that we're biased, you know, we, <laughs> we don't, even with the best of intentions, yeah. you know, we are all affected by the fall, even the way we think. And to put these in categories, right, that people might be able to understand, um, you know, I think, and doing that every day, not just when there's a crisis, Eric, not just when there's some kind of crisis, because then everybody's, you know, sensitive and tense and, but to just include these things in your everyday, um, I think it's so important. And another thing I'd say that I think pastors can do, leaders can do is make sure to, um, hear from the wealth of the whole church, you know, as much as possible to be, um, we see a little bit of God in like in every um, ethnic background and culture and experience. And to the extent that we can um, uplift different kinds of voices, Sunday morning, yes, but there's other opportunities, other spaces to do that. Um, It can just open people's eyes up as they hear more stories. I love it. Well, the book is Color Courageous Discipleship. You can go to the website, colorcourageous.com. The subtitle, Follow Jesus, Dismantle Racism, and Build Beloved Community. Michelle, thank you for your contribution to the kingdom, for what you're doing through your book and through your ministry. And we're really grateful. For those who want a chance to win a free copy, make sure you're signed up to my email newsletter at ericbryant.org, and we'll send some copies out this week. Thank you so much, Michelle. You're so welcome. And, you know, keep up the good work, brothers and sisters. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on the Post-Christian Podcast. More resources available at ericbryant.org.